And we are in a series called Gospel Deep, uh, His Glory Experienced. His glory experienced, okay? Romans chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit and His work as He pours out into our lives. And uh, may not be a topic you've studied much, may not be something you know much about. And as we walk through Romans chapter 8, we have to get this clear. This is the Holy Spirit's proclamation of who He is in our lives and what He's here to do. So Lord, teach us from Your Word. Keep us wide open as we look through Romans chapter 8, to being shaped and changed by you, all right? And today we're looking at Romans 8, verses 5 through 11, and uh, he's simply saying this, hey, I told you in the first verse there is no condemnation. How do you know I'm working in you? How do you know this thing is being carried out, that you are saved, that there is no condemnation? Proof positive. Three proofs we're going to walk through. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. Proof positive that the God of this universe is at work in your life. All right? So turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. We got ushers coming forward with Bibles in their hands, and they're going to pass these down the road to whoever needs one. So just raise your hand, and they'll get a Bible to you. All right? Be patient there and just uh, raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Romans 8. Verses 5 through 11. Three proofs that God is at work in your life, that there is no condemnation. Proof number one, you value and pursue the things of the Holy Spirit. You value and pursue the things of the Holy Spirit. Like all of a sudden, there seems to be a different thing that matters to you, right? You value and pursue the things of the Holy Spirit. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Kind of an obvious one, really, in a way, and and uh, we have to be really careful as we walk through this. Let's make sure we understand it. He starts out with the word for, like, because, like, I want to tell you that these things are true now, and here's some reasons why, some proofs as to why, and and uh, as he goes backwards into the text, um, you can actually go back to, like, verses 2 and 3. Notice it says what he does for us in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. He goes on to say, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Man, we have a chance for sin to be condemned in us. It's paid on the cross. There is no condemnation from God onto us, right? Huge topic last week. If you weren't here with us, please go back and listen to that passage. Please listen to that message. There is so much hope in this simple statement. Paid on the cross. Christ has it covered. It's not the Jesus and plan. It's Jesus only. That's our hope, okay? Please hear that. Please see that, man. If you weren't with us, get back on that. If that's something you need to be reminded of, go back and listen to it again. All right. Let's make sure we have Romans 8, 1 through 4 nailed down hard. Because of that truth that Jesus for me on the cross, him for me, because there is hope, there is no condemnation. There's some things that he's calling us to do to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And why? Why would he ask us to do that? Well, then he starts out verse 5, right? For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So let's define a couple of terms here now. 
live according to. What does that mean? And uh, I just put this down. It means to live in alignment with. Like your life shows agreement with. That's what live according to means. Okay? To live according to the flesh means you're living in agreement with that thing that's all about self and me. Right? And let's be careful not to live that way. Uh, to set our minds on. That's another phrase we're going to see in just a second here. Uh, it, when you're setting your mind on biblically right here, it means the highest authority speaking in your life is. And then fill in the blank. The highest speaking authority in your life is. So to set your mind on the flesh is to have the highest speaking authority in your life be the me world. Okay? And uh, for those who haven't been with us, and maybe just as a quick reminder, let's go ahead and throw up the uh, chart that we had talked about, the graphic. And um, remember, we talked about the mind, the flesh, and the spirit, right? And so the mind, that's that that's a control center of you. It's the decision maker and the valuer and the, pro, the prioritizer, all right, the mind. And then there's the flesh off to the left. That's that thing that bangs and presses and pushes in and says, dude, that'll feel so good if. Can you imagine? Just go after this. It'll be so fulfilling in the moment. You want that. And uh, very much all about you, the flesh. And then on the other side is the spirit. And uh, we'll find out in just a little bit, but we have the Holy Spirit taking up residence within us, being a part of our spirit. That's the triangle of what goes on within us, the mind, the flesh, and the spirit, okay? So he talks about the mind set on the flesh, meaning the highest speaking authority in you is that which is screaming for you. Uh, There probably couldn't be a better definition for unsaved than that. The highest speaking authority in you is you. Okay, and uh, notice he says in verse five, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, the things of the flesh, everything the flesh would point to and go after is what uh, you'd be all about. And uh, this is unsaved. Everybody say this means unsaved. It does. It means unsaved. And in fact, if you press a little further, how do you know that? Well, if you go back to Romans 7, you know, it does talk about this battle that's going on, this this flesh and spirit battle. But there's something higher than flesh screaming in the Holy Spirit doing a powerful work. And there's an awareness of God and a longing for him to be worshipped. And you end up with the declaration at the end. Thanks be to God. Man, that's what saved looks like. Like even in the midst of wrestling with the battle, you grasp God and his work in you. And uh, unsaved, like, I really don't have it at all. I don't care. I'm good with me and what looks good and feels good and shows me off. And that's what I'm going to be all about. And, um, well, how do you know this is all about just the unsaved? Tim, do you have any other proof? I would just say this. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, right? So he's talking now about this phrase. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's making a distinction of, I want to talk about unsaved and saved. I want to talk about that difference right now. And he's making this massive distinction. The highest speaking authority in me is fill in the blank. Man, if it's flesh, if it's me. If it's everything that is about me, 
That's what we would call still yet to be saved, not saved. Needing a savior, needing a God. The highest speaking authority in me is the Holy Spirit. Him pressing in, him making point, him stirring within me what needs to change me, having a longing for him. And that is saved. That's what it looks like. A wrestling that will go on with the spirit having highest authority and beginning to renew our mind and transform our soul and shape us from one degree of glory to the next. Praise be to God. All right. And uh, so verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Um, I don't know, Tim. I don't really feel that way. Like when I set my mind on the things of the spirit, that's great. And I feel like that doesn't happen often enough. And great. Praise God. That alone is the Holy Spirit pressing. Just so you know. The moment where you're like, oh, I just wish that I... And Lord, I wanted you to be, and if you could just be more worshipped in my life. And and that's what it looks like as God presses in and teaches us what to let go of and what to grab onto in him. Okay? Uh, But for the guy who truly is like, I do not care. And, uh, And you might be sitting in here today and you're in that boat. You're like, I really don't care. I'm not sure why I'm here, especially at nine o'clock. On a cold day. And, uh, but I'm telling you this, if you're here today and you're living life for you, it needs to stop today. It needs to be, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please use your shed blood on the cross. Like he said, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin that he might condemn sin in the flesh. Lord, have your way with me. Please forgive me. Please use your shed blood on the cross to replace What I owe move from your mind set on the flesh to your mind set on the spirit. By the way, that's a God work going on the whole time. He's pressing in and convincing and you responding to huge moment of transformation as we move from me to him and then from him to all him. Praise be to God. All right. What it looks like for us to be stirred. One of the proofs is that we do value the things of the spirit. We do long for God to be glorified. And um, this past week we had a men's arsenal. Awesome night. And uh, we had about 300 guys here filling in the middle section, spilling over to the side sections. And and, uh, just an awesome night of power worship, power time in the word. Uh, Guys going after their walk with Christ. And uh, man, I love it when we can get the men of this church fired up for Jesus Christ. They're going home and they're going to lead families to honor Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we're talking about. And uh, so this past week I got a letter after the men's arsenal. And uh, I'll just read part of it. And uh, he said, hey, Tim, got one to share with you. Went to men's arsenal Tuesday night and you hit on the very topic that me and a couple of guys were talking about the day before at work. Uh, Funny how God does that. Right. And uh, isn't it how God prepares us when he's going to have us hear a word? He first stirs the soul to be ready to hear that word. And uh, he said a few other things he goes on with. So. After Arsenal, me and my son were headed back to pick up his car and we shared a few things with each other and could really tell God was moving in both of us. God has been rocking me hard now for about two years. 
Although a believer for some time, I would say I was maybe lukewarm. Now, thanks to God, it is a burning desire to seek, learn, and get closer. When you make the reference transforming from one degree to the next, I totally get it. My son made the comment that he can see a change in me and how our family dynamics have changed. He said that uh, it has affected my wife and he can see a change with her. And therefore, he's like, hey, what's going on there? Maybe we should check that out. And uh, his glory overflows unto others around you. In parentheses, he said, praise God. Both he and his wife are now attending more regularly at harvest and they can feel a tug on them as well. God at work, in parentheses, big tears in my eyes right now. How cool is that? God's glory written all over that. Praise be to God. So in short, I am stunned at his greatness. Thanks for listening. Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We can be stirred and challenged to care about the things of him. To move not just from, I'm glad that he died on the cross for me so I can be saved someday eternal. But we move to right here, right now. I long for you to be worshipped. God, may you get what you deserve. I'm stirred that you might have it all. And, and what needs to go, please, Lord, let it go. May you have everything. And when we talk about there is therefore now no condemnation, God's first proof is he begins to stir in you a longing for him, to have your mind set on him, to run after him, the Holy Spirit and his work and the things of his work. And um, so simple question. Um, how are you doing at letting the Spirit stir you? At taking you from, maybe I get the salvation thing, the diving board, but now I want to get the whole pool. Gospel deep life with Him. Lord, take over in my life. One of the proofs, one of the promises is that if you let the Holy Spirit work, He will take you to another level of passionate desire for Him. He will. It will happen. Let him have his way with your soul. Promise. All right? So the first proof, the first promise, you will value and pursue the things of the Holy Spirit. Second proof, um, you have life and peace with God, not hostility toward God. You have life and peace with God, not hostility toward God. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Bam. Proof. Uh, Set your mind on the flesh. Well, that is death. And uh, I love his statement there, very simple, very direct. For to set the mind on the flesh equals death. This is like a spiritual equation being given, all right? It's not to set your mind on the flesh will lead to death. That actually is true, right? We talk about the wages of sin is 
death, eternal separation from him. There is a long-term eternal penalty for walking against him in rebellion to him. But this isn't talking about that. This is talking about so much more. When it says that having your mind set on the flesh equals death. And that is a moment of pain and darkness in our lives that we need to grasp with all we've got. It means it's not just about eternity, but it's about right here and right now. And uh, I just wrote to be uh, dead spiritually. It means to not have the ability to respond, right? Isn't that what we mean when we say dead physically? To not be able to respond to the physical elements around you physically. Dead. Well, what do we mean spiritually dead? To not be able to respond to the things of the spirit, to the things of God equals death. Huge deal. Can't hear from him. Can't respond to him. Not going to muscle it up on my own. Can't get it there. If I am initially not in a position of with him, not saved, I'm telling you, we are in a bad spot equals spiritually unable to respond to him. Huge deal. And, uh, I just wrote this down too. First Corinthians two fourteen. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And he is spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians 2.14. And that's a huge deal. Cannot understand. Cannot please God, it says in just a little bit. We are stuck in one spot in need of a Savior. But God sending his own son in sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. Praise be to God. Our solution is not in our trying harder. Our solution is in having a savior. Period. That's our hope. And uh, you can have life and peace in him. I love that he sets each of these up with a contrast, right? He doesn't just tell us what we have. He tells us what we don't have if we don't have them. And uh, so now he's transitioning across. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But... To set the mind on the spirit, well, that is life and peace, life and peace. And so let's just define those again. Notice it's an equation, right? It says is, not leads to, but is. And uh, life, um, that's the ability to grow, to change spiritually. Life. He gives you an ability to literally start being transformed. He breathes into you something that can now be responsive to his glory. He gives you what he would call life in him. There is no hope. There is no joy outside of him and everything is within him. I'm just telling you this every day we try. Why do we do this? Why do we try to walk through daily life and living saying, I've got this one. I know I didn't have it yesterday or last week or last month or really for my whole life. But today I got this one. Right. And now we start walking through it, trying to own it and get our own joy out of it and get our own purpose out of it. Start making change in us out of it. And quite frankly, all we do is make a mess. Right. And uh, man, we need God at work in us. Uh, The spirit. Well, he is life. And peace. And uh, peace. I looked this one up in the dictionary. The state of no war or fighting. What a great definition. Peace. The state of no war, no fighting between you and God. 
And uh, this is a big deal. This is talking about peace with God, not peace of God. Let's make sure we make a distinction there, okay? So peace with God, right? We're told in Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith. It is Christ's work. We trust him. And in that moment, penalty paid. Done. Sin condemned on the cross, 100% effective. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. Your faith brings it on. And that's it. God does the rest of the work. The war is over. You have peace with God. That lasts for eternity. Okay? Now that we have peace with God and God begins to speak in us life and whisper in us and shape in us, Now he starts to take us to a peace of God, meaning in the midst of the worst trials, you're at ease because your God has it. That's something he teaches us to grow in and to walk in. Philippians 4 is very clear about how to have that peace of God, right? That we come with prayer and supplication, with all thanksgiving. And uh, we're coming before our God who has the universe in his hands. And we're going to lay this down and say, Lord, obviously you can speak and the worlds come into existence. Surely you can handle this problem. And I'm laying it before you and I'm trusting you. And some of us in this room are dealing with devastating situations. Pain. And heartache. That makes it tough to lay that down before him. And I'm telling you, the best hope we've got is a God who has it all under control. Do not try to run and control that on your own. The biggest joke we have is that somehow if we control it, it'll be better. Lord, we're looking for you to have control. And and um, just so you've heard me say this. It is okay with tears in eyes, with trembling voice to say, God, I'm so scared of the next step, but I'm trusting you. Lord, I'm willing to have you take this over. And I want not just peace with God, but I want the peace of God. And I'm trusting you now to take this even one step further. When the Holy Spirit is with us, it is Life and peace. Man, I'm telling you, if you have not been through devastation or struggle, if your life has been easy, well, praise God for you. Uh, And just hang on. This world's got stuff in it, man. And God walks us through tough times. And as he walks us through those times, he grows us. And sometimes he gives us an easier path in the moment. And that's awesome. And it could be easier for life for you. That's God's decision. Praise be to God. But please do this favor for me. Long to have your life handed over to the spirit. He is life and peace. He is. There is no better than him in charge. He will be transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. He will be giving you insight to what's going on around you. The things that should uh, hurt and shock and put you in stunned mode in this world will make you go, 
my God's bigger. And the people standing next to you who do not know him as Savior are looking at you saying, dude, I don't get what you got. Where are you getting that from? And I want to be a part of that. And and that's when they start attending a church service with you or hearing a story from you of what God's doing in your life. Please, one of the biggest proofs you can have of God at work in you is life and peace in the midst of some of the biggest storms brewing. Because your God is there with you. His presence equals life and peace. And how often do we say peace equals the absence of any problem? That's one kind of peace. I'm not sure that peace exactly exists for very long anywhere. But uh, but really, the peace that we're talking about here is the presence of the Spirit with a calming sense to His ownership in your life, Him leading and moving and shaping. Peace and life. Your Holy Spirit giving you in His very presence. Notice what it says right after it. Um, as he's talking through now, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mind set on the flesh, remember, this means unsaved. Everybody say, that's unsaved. Okay, mindset on the flesh, like it's all about me. I'm not trusting in Christ. I'm doing it myself. Hostile toward God. Against him. Have you ever had somebody hostile toward you? Yeah, that's not a fun moment, right? Hostile toward God. That's where we stand when we stand without Jesus Christ trying to do it on our own, saying, I will not trust in him. He is not my savior. I'm going my own way. And uh, hostile toward God does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, cannot. Have you ever defined the word cannot? Try to think of your definition of cannot right now. Right? Not possible. Will never happen. And make sure you get that. And when we talk about our depravity, it doesn't mean that man is 100% bad. It means that man cannot head towards God on their own at all. That's what he's describing here. Hostile towards God. Not obeying God's law. Cannot. Those are not good positions to be in. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Coming to Jesus Christ is not a crutch so that life is a little easier. Coming to Jesus Christ is the only hope there is. And it's absolutely that he might be worshipped. Not that we might get it easier. Do you see how we flip that so fast? Come to Jesus and uh, he'll give you purpose and direction and and. Decide, I really heard this on TV a couple days ago. Decide which home you want and he'll give it to you. What Bible are you reading, man? Where is that, right? That is not even in scripture. That is not what God is about. It is not come to me. I'll make your life easy and simple and problem solved. And it's come to me. I am life and peace. It doesn't matter what's going on. I have you. That's our promise. Hope in Him. Necessarily Him. Only Him. Praise be to God. That's our hope. And uh, hostile toward Him. I thought, man, we better just camp there for just a second. Let's make sure we understand this. 
Hostile. Let's define hostile. Four different definitions. All right. Four definitions for hostile. Number one, militant. That one's pretty easy, right? Like, I deny you, I stand against you and anything you stand for. Right? Militant against. Uh, That's the first one. I deny you outright. Um, Hostile towards God. Uh, Another hostile towards God. Resistant. Uh, As you press in on me, well, then I refuse you. I will not respond to you as you press in. Resistant. A little more passive in that, right? I'm not just outright going after him, but still not responding. Three, indifferent. Dude, I don't care what you do. It doesn't even matter who you are to me. I don't care that you're pressing in or not pressing in. I'm not listening. You know, la, 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 la. Indifferent, right? I cannot hear you. And, um, and then the last one is probably the one we don't define very much at all. Casual. I'll kick tires on you a little here and there when it works for me. And if it's not working for me, forget you. Like it's going to be my way and it's going to be all about me. And some of the things of God might actually even work out. Number one problem with teaching, come to Christ and he'll fix your problem. Is all of a sudden you can get somebody coming strictly to have their problem fixed. Not to have their God worshipped. And all of a sudden we are in casual hostility. I'm hearing of the things of God. But I'll only do those things that I think will be pragmatic in the moment for me. I stand in defense and defiance against you for all the rest of what you're asking. And that's hostility. Be very careful. God is not to be toyed with. God is not to be played with. He is the spirit. He is life and peace as he works within us. And uh, those who set their minds on the flesh, one of those four things or more. Militant, resistant, indifferent, casual. And if you are standing in resistance against God right now, please set it down and be done. May your king who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again and is now the author of life and peace, become your everything. Please respond to him. And uh, life and peace. I thought, let's get a good definition of what that is. So I was looking for a testimony. Found this one online. Uh, David Berkowitz, some of you may know that name. I'll define it in just a second. Horrible childhood, lonely, painful, tormented. Grew up, murdered six people in New York City, shot 13, six of them passed away in a two-year period of time. He put terror into the New York City streets. His nickname became the Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. And uh, he ended up getting... Uh, 365 years of sentencing, a life sentence for every soul he killed, 365 years, 10 years into that, he was wandering the open field in the prison he was in and an inmate decided to approach him and introduce him to Christ. And he laughed at him hostility as he stood against him. What a joke. Get away from me with that. Every day the man kept coming back to him. Now we'll pick his testimony up here. He said, one day he came up to me and gave me a Gideon's pocket testament and asked me just to read the Psalms. So I did. 
Every night I would read from them. It was at that time that the Lord was quietly melting my stone cold murdering heart. One night I was reading Psalm 34 and I came upon verse six, which says this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. It was at that moment in 1987 that I began to pour out my heart to God. Everything seemed to hit me at once. The guilt from what I did, the disgust at what I had become. Late that night in my cold cell, I got down on my knees and I began to cry out to Jesus Christ as my only hope. I told him I was sick and tired of doing evil. I asked Jesus to forgive me for all my sins. I spent a good while on my knees praying to him. When I got up, it felt as if a very heavy but invisible chain that had been around me for so many years was finally broken. Amen. Remember that uh, little illustration we used with the chain here and how powerfully it speaks. He says, a peace flooded over me. I had no idea. I did not understand what was happening. The spirit is life and peace. And, uh, but in my heart, I just knew that my life somehow was now going to be different. Uh, it's now been more than 27 years that have gone by since I first talked with the Lord. So many good things have happened in my life since. Jesus Christ has allowed me to start an outreach ministry right here in the prison where I have been given permission by prison officials to work in the special needs unit where men who have various emotional and coping problems are now housed. I can pray with them. I can read my Bible with them and share my testimony with them and share Christ with them. I get the chance to show them a lot of brotherly love and compassion. I get to make a difference for my king. Life change. He wrote this at the end. I sued my lawyer. I read that. I was like, what? Where's this going? I sued my lawyer. He took all of my photos and letters and he sold them to a tabloid for cash. And my one goal was to try to get that money back so that it could be given to the families and the victims so that they could go on and try to heal. I've done so much wrong. May something be good out of it. May God have his way in it. Amazing. God can take a murderous, dark, self-absorbed, hostile to God heart and win him over to life and peace and joy and hope of our king. Proof number two, the spirit is life and peace. And there is no hostility towards God. And that's God at work in our lives. How do we know he's at work? We have a strong sense of his peace and his life. Proof number three. You actually have the spirit in you. You have the spirit in you. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Huge deal. You, however, are not in the flesh. Everybody say that means not saved. Right? In the flesh, not saved. And uh, But you are in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. 
You are saved equals spirit of God dwelling in you. And I love this now as he gets into the description of the Trinity. He's talking now about the role of Jesus Christ, the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of God the Father. And he is walking through the fact that we move from in the flesh to in the spirit. And he now says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Are you hearing that? If you belong to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit in you, absolutely has taken up residence, speaking in, making clear what's going on, patiently working with our downfalls, our brokenness, and moving us from one degree of glory to the next. Saved equals spirit in me, period. What a joy, what an awesome privilege of that. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Man, I don't know if you guys know this, but this thing we have called the body from the moment of conception is headed for destruction. You know what I'm saying? Headed for getting old, headed for breaking down and headed for death. That's what's going on with this physical thing. And uh, praise be to God, he does something different inside. He reverses that direction and he's taking the spirit towards life and future and hope with him. And while the body might be on a, a path of destruction, the spirit is not. And then he goes one step further with the hope of the body. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's break it down. If the spirit, everybody say that's God. Holy Spirit, God. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that would be God the Father. Say, that's God. So now we have God the Spirit, God the Father working together, right? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God the Father, will also give life to your mortal bodies. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, package deal. Spirit provides this conviction, this moving, this life. Jesus Christ, he provides the payment that is a replacement for you and me, our hope. And God the Father calling it all together and making it come down and happen. I'm telling you, we have hope as the all-in God works in our lives. Each of you personally now, contemplate that. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son all rallying together to fix what's broken in you. Praise be to God. That's our hope. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to what? To your mortal bodies. Man, we're going to see these bodies be fixed up someday. As we get to the other side, when we're in heaven and he does the glorification moment, all of a sudden, you and I, we're going to be good looking. All right. Maybe I have more hope in that area than you do. Some of you look awesome, but I'm headed for good looking, man. This is a big deal. God's going to be doing some things with our bodies and he's literally going to take us to a glorified body at that point in time where our soul and body meet together and there is going to be a celebration with our king for all of eternity. He is life. He is peace. He is hope. He is future. He is what it's all about. And instead of making each day a wrestle for your own glory, Time to set it down. 
God, may it be all for your glory. I'm done showing off for me. On with you. God, the Father and his mighty holy will. God, the Spirit and his transforming work in me. God, the Son and his work on the cross. I worship you. You've got my all. Please keep me from being distracted now, Lord, as I go after you. The promises or proofs of God at work in us. It says through the spirit who dwells in you. Please let him dwell richly. Please let him work in you and stir in you and challenge you. Some of you might be like, well, this is great. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about parts of it and not excited about other parts of it. And I'm not sure how to get to the point where all three of these seem to be happening because some of it seems to be masked or veiled or something. And, uh, all right, three steps to seeing these proofs outright in your life. Here we go. Number one, encounter. You must encounter him. For some of you, that might mean accepting him as savior for the very first time today. You must encounter him. And for others of you, you may know him as savior. It's time to start seeing him in scripture. It's time to start seeing him at work in your life. It's time to start seeing him as the almighty king. Encounter him. Make him stir in you. Number two, exalt. Exalt. This means worship. Lift him up. Man, the God that you just met in that encountering. We just went through this with the men on Tuesday night. As you encounter in the scripture, as you encounter in your daily living, now take it to him in worship. Spend time exalting him. The simple statements under exalt. How do we do that? Well, we be still. Right? Psalm 4610. Literally, it means drop your arms. Stop fighting. Be still. That's how you exalt him. Or another way, breathe spiritually, right? We talk about this all the time. Like you're inhaling the God you just encountered, this awesomeness about him you just met in your word. As you read, read for him and then take that encounter with him and launch forward into exalting, celebrating the God you're meeting. Lord, thank you for being this. I'm in, I'm in awe of your greatness and who you are. I'm stunned by your goodness and And then confessing out, Lord, please forgive me. Right? This is all part of exalt. So be still and breathe. The breathing, inhaling and exhaling. Confessing out, Lord, I'm not in alignment with you in this area. Please forgive me. And then behold. Spend some time there. Camp. That's part of the exalt package. Be still, breathe, and behold. You're going to be in awe with what happens in your worship time. That's the exalting. All right. So it's encounter exalt. And then the third step, engage. God never calls us to meet him, to know him and to be changed by him and do nothing. Never calls us to do that ever. He is stirring you up to good works. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But hear me, if you jump from word to works, you will be muscling it. You've got to go to exalt 
encounter, exalt, spend time worshiping him. Let him begin to change you. Your worship will be filled. The spirit will be moving. You will literally sense the life, the peace, the hope, the promise, the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And I'm telling you, these things are going to ignite and then engage the hope that we have in him. That we can be about his things, setting our mind on the spirit. That we can have him who is life and peace. That we can long for him and know that we have him present within our soul, working on us, transforming us. Praise be to God. So far as we've walked through all of Romans, this might be the most spiritual, detailed information of letting the Holy Spirit have a work in your life that you might be able to be transformed and look more like him. Please take time, camp on these passages, hear from your God, let him have his way in you as you encounter, exalt, and then engage once you've clearly got him in alignment with you. You're running with him now. You've made the shift. You're with him. What an awesome opportunity we have to worship our God. Proof positive. I'm telling you, I have not met a guy who has this going on in their life where they're like, I'm just not sure, man. I don't know about that God thing. Every time I meet somebody wrestling with and not sure about, they don't have these three things firing. Go after these steps then. Encounter, exalt, and engage. And watch God blow you away with his presence. Let's pray.